So we're continuing 40 Days of Faith during this Lenten season, and I have really enjoyed doing the read and response during the week, this daily time to read a chunk of Mark and think about it and hear from other Riverites what they're thinking about the passage. If you haven't done that yet, I encourage you to pop online and check it out. It's been a really fun, interactive experience. So we're going to follow along with that theme from hearing from other Riverites by hearing from my friend Laverne Walker. And, you know, this isn't just any woman. This is a woman who does speed walking and marathons all over the world. And I found out today that when she is really warmed up in her speed walking, she is walking 10-minute miles. That's impressive, right? Yeah. So please join me in welcoming the very speedy Laverne Walker. Good morning. Let me take a deep breath. There's something about this space. You just you just feel a connection with God. So um, bear with me. Um, I live in Jersey City, and by way of Brooklyn Pride, uh, it was the subway as uh, that drew me to the river. Being raised Pentecostal, my thought was, as long as they are not drinking Jim Jones juice, um, I'll stay. This year is my fifth year as a river partner. Caroline had asked me to share my thoughts of my experience about this year's 40 years of faith. If I'm honest, in the past I participated in this Christian tradition passively. Did it because the church said, we're doing it. As a Christian who inner Pentecostalism still shows up every so often, you follow pastoral orders or risk missing a seat in heaven. <laughs> I would do the readings in a chick- checklist-like fashion, gloss over the post-reading question, sorry, Charles, <laughs> and half-heartedly do a fast. In the end, unlike others, I would not be surprised that my big acts went unanswered at the end of 40, 40, the 40th day. This year is different. The theme touched me. God surprised me. It felt free. My story about the big ass is, I don't think I have one. My life is pretty simple. A community of friends and family who think I'm cool, funny, and and loving. And... When I think about the big acts, you know, I think it's usually these miracle working things like incurable disease, um, the dream job, uh, some anonymous person offering you money, which if you are out there, my name is spelled L-A-V-E-R-N-E. But that wasn't my story. And so the guy surprised me felt like, This takes it out of my hand. 
this is good. I can I can get on board with this. And part of the reason I had I think I I had an issue is because I didn't know if I had any um God, God blind spots. And perhaps I do. The big ax was unknown. And so when John and Sharers shared this year's theme, I felt relieved. And then I realized in that space, I was experiencing these daily surprises by God. Simple, small, nothing, you know. But there were things that I did not do. I just knew it was God. And then um, I was sharing with Caroline when I was telling her my story that years ago, um, I have a brother who's about 10 years younger than me, and we were estranged, and he called out of the blue. And as always, the conversation just picked up from, like, we spoke yesterday. And this kid could just make me laugh. He's a 40-year-old man, but he's a... You know, but he can just make me laugh. And then just the other day we were talking and he was just sharing about what he wants in his life. And it was the first time he kind of just shared something that I thought was very personal. And I was like, okay. And usually as the older sister, I'm like, wow, let's do this. And, you know, uh, let's make this happen. And I just listen. And so... The big ask for me is I stand in a gap for my brother. Thank you. So, on top of sharing, I now need to do the reading. <laughs> so, today's reading is uh, Mark 6, uh, 30 to 56. The the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowd away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You fed them. You feed them. With what? And they asked, What we have to work with for months to earn enough food to buy food for all of these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples, 
to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves in two pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they crossed the lake, they landed at Genesis. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran through the whole area carrying sick people on mats to whatever there where wherever they heard he was wherever he went in villages cities or the countryside they brought the sick out to the marketplace they begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe and all would touch who touched him was healed Thank you, Laverne. That was wonderful. Um, it's a great setup. There's so much going on in those passages, right? Um, a lot of stuff. It's kind of like pretty dramatic events. Um, a lot of things will be going through your heads, I would imagine. Uh, let me just introduce myself. Uh, my name is Peter. Um, a longtime member of the river, and um, and I've been, you know, uh, giving the talk every now and again, and it's been great to not only like be in church for this 40 days, but also uh, look in on what people have been saying on the app about the passages. I think that's been one of the, the highlights of this 40 days so far. So I would encourage you to, to do that. And, um, and, you know, my contribution today is titled, um, you know, is this Jesus's greatest promise? Um, 
I, I assume we have a slide with that on it somewhere. Um, I can. <laughs> um, okay, so the title is it is it in the is it in the program? Yeah. Okay, so the title of my um, of my talk is 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 this Jesus's greatest promise? And so so what what promise am I am I referring to? And it's it's Jesus's promise that that we can be part of whatever God is doing to make the world a better place. We can we can find like great fulfillment in in being part of that. And 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 the promise tells us Jesus tells us that much of the abundant life um, that he promises us can be experienced. Uh, when we participate in the good and amazing things that God is doing in people's lives, okay? So that's the promise. That's one of the, I think it's probably the greatest promise from my point of view because, you know, <laughs> it's just like, it's kind of like something that we get to be part of and it just gets better and bigger and, um, and, and it never stops. And, and, and church is a good place to get on that train, okay? So the very fact that you guys are here this morning, uh, tells me that you have some sense that this promise is important, that you've begun to experience how great this promise is, right? You like showing up and being part of what God is doing in this place, yeah? So um, you, you've tasted this promise, and you probably like it, and you want more of it, um, and that's great. And, and individually, that's probably because we've, we've, we know, we've experienced uh, Jesus bringing light in, into our lives, and We've experienced his power making things better for us. And as that wonderful process proliferates, you know, whole lives are transformed, communities are changed, and, and, and goodness and, and love uh, can define uh, the communities that we're part of rather than, than hate and divisiveness. And this is happening everywhere. It's happening in the darkest places. Uh, a good friend of mine, I'm a reporter at the, at the Times, and a good friend of mine um, is kind of like one of the guys down in Latin America, and he's doing all these stories on the very high homicide rates in Latin America. They're, they're off the charts. And so he was spending some time in a Central American uh, town and where there's like four different gangs, four murderous gangs, all fighting each other, and and he wanted to sort of see what that was like so that he could write about it. And so he was spending time there. And I was like, dude, did you just like in the evening go back to the Intercontinental or something? You know, <laughs> I was like, where did you stay? And he was like, no, there was a pastor there right in the heart of things trying to bring reconciliation. And he let me stay at his place. And so, you know, you know, Christians being drawn to reconciliation is doing God's work and it's fulfilling that amazing promise that that um, that, uh, that, that, that that Jesus gives us, and and we see it happening in our in our own circles. I, I hope you know um, we might see a you know a friend's um, life made better by Jesus. Maybe they were really down about something and we offered to pray for them, and they rallied. They got back on their feet and, and life is good for them again. Um, and it just feels great to be involved in something like that. And I don't, I don't, there are a few experiences as invigorating as those. 
And so it's going on all around us. And, you know, it happens when Jesus connects with people and we can connect with people through Jesus. And then it just grows and grows and grows. Um, but, you know, it doesn't happen easily. It doesn't happen in a straight line. And, and it might not sound particularly attractive to some of us if we're going through tough times. It, it may sound like a lot of work. Um, and for others of us, it might sound implausible that God has this power even. It's like, where did that come from? Why are you telling me? I haven't seen any evidence of this, you might be thinking. And so if you're sort of feeling kind of like skeptical or conflicted or just overwhelmed and worn down or dispirited, you are in good company, okay? You're right, long, you're right there alongside Jesus' disciples uh, whose reactions uh, we saw detailed in today's passage. And so we're going to look at a couple of sections from that that, that passage that Laverne read out more closely. And obviously there are two, there's, a, there's so much going on in that passage. It's just wonderful. It's like classic gospel of Mark, kind of like, you know, if you made that into a movie, it would have to be really carefully edited, but it would be really dynamic at the same time. Um, uh, but two big things happen in our segment today, and that's, that's the feeding of the thousands of the 5,000. And the second was the episode on the boat when Jesus stills the storm. And, and here's what I wanted to, to, to zero in on, okay? The first, uh, the first thing I want to look at takes place after the feeding of the 5,000, when the disciples are in serious trouble on the lake. They see Jesus walking on the water, and Mark says they're, like, they're, they're kind of like worried about not being able to control the boat. They're not getting anywhere, and that is terrifying. I don't know if you've ever been in a, like, out of control on the water, and that's, that's kind of scary in itself. It's only happened to me once, and I was petrified as a child, but like, you know, it was, I still remember the fear. So there's, they're going through that. And they're also scared of Jesus, right? They're like, he's, he looks like this ghost walking on water, and so they're like terrified of him. And this is what happens next. Um, and we do have a slide for this. There you go. Um, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So I've bolded that last bit there. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. And dwelling on that observation of Marx should help us understand why it's hard to, you know, why it's tough sometimes to sort of feel excitement about joining in with what God's doing, okay? It's, it's sometimes difficult to feel the promise in Jesus' great promise. Um, and, and we can look, we can use this particular sentence to sort of go deeper on that. Um, the disciples were feeling this. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. And what is the thing that the, the, the disciples had, hadn't taken in? And Mark tells us, it has something to do with the miraculous feeding that just took place or took place a little earlier. Mark is highlighting to us that the disciples didn't understand the significance or the meaning of the mirac miraculous feeding. It says they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. And so what is the significance of that miracle? What, what should the disciples have seen but didn't? And Bible scholars sort of suspect that, it, that it's sort of the following, okay? They say that this miraculous fe feeding was a sign to the disciples that 
Jesus was unlike anyone who had come before in the Jewish scriptures. You know, Jesus had defined powers and, and he had a far bigger mission. He was far more than, say, Moses, you know, their, their, their towering forefather who, who, who took them out of, out of Egypt. And the disciples there would have known that when Moses was in the desert, it wasn't him who produced the manna that came from heaven. It was God who sent that to feed his people. It was God who did that. But here it's Jesus who initiates the miracle of the fishes and the loaves. And this highlights that Jesus was godlike in his standing. Uh, in addition, Jesus had also done enough by this point. He'd done miraculous healings. He'd, he'd cast out demons to show that he cared about people and had the power. He had the actual power at hand to heal and to protect and save others. And, it, and incredibly, two chapters back, uh, Jesus had, had saved them before from a squall on, on the lake. And they knew that. And so Mark is sort of asking this rhetorical question, how can you be afraid that you would drown in this situation when you're being led by Jesus? How can you be afraid of Jesus when he's done all these other things and saved you before when, when the wind was getting up on the lake? And Mark's point is that especially after the miracle of the loaves and fishes, the disciples should have a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. Okay, so that's, that's kind of the first thing that Mark is trying to establish. Remember, he has an intent in his gospel to get that across. But there is something else, I think, that Jesus may have wanted the disciples to grasp by this point. I think that, Je that Jesus may have wanted the disciples to understand their own crucial role in what he was doing. You could put it like this. Jesus wasn't going to let the disciples drown because he wanted them on his team. Right? He needed them even. He, he, these were good guys. He, he was including them. He was involving them in what he was doing. And so, of course, they, wasn't gonna, they weren't going to be lost um, on this lake. They were going to be involved in all that God was doing to bring good into the world. And being part of that great promise, he's not just going to like snatch it away by letting them die out there on the lake. And... The miracle with the, with the fishes and the loaves should also have underscored their, the crucial role that the disciples were going to play. So if we go back and, and look at it closely, it shows the disciples being an integral part of that miracle. They were so involved in the miracle that it would have been almost impossible for them to miss the profundity and the uniqueness of what was happening right before them. And I think that Jesus probably place the disciples in the very midst of this miracle to show them so tangibly, you know, with actual food, how amazing their participation in Jesus' ministry was going to be. And this is what happens. I love how it starts out. Jesus just says to them, no, you feed them. That's like, that's the sort of Jesus I kind of like, where he just says like, really like impossible things to the disciples. It's like, yeah, there you go feed them. And they're like obviously very perplexed and they say, oh, we'd have to work for years to like get you know, like, and, um, and obviously I would say exactly the same thing. So like, I don't want to like, you know, 
diss the disciples. Um, But then this happens. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. So the disciples are right there in the mix. They're, they're giving out the bread and fishes. And, 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 and this, this is another thing that Mark does in his gospel. He's always emphasizing um, this particular point in his gospel. He goes to great lengths to show his readers that Jesus is not your classic earthly um, conquering king who comes, he vanquishes, he demands allegiance, um, and then soon after there's chaos because, like, it doesn't hold, right? That's kind of like what happens, you know, when you have an all-powerful king. History is full of that pattern. But Jesus, Mark wants to make very clear, was very, it was a very different type of king. He was a messiah who was prepared to die to usher in a kingdom that was going to be defined by love and healing and provision. And, and, and on top of that, Jesus recruited very ordinary people into that. The disciples are like perfect for this. They have no special standing in society. They're probably you know, more likely to do great things because of that. And another thing that Mark does in his gospel is he often highlights how women, people who had no standing in society at that time, they, they seem to understand far before others what Jesus was up to, well before other people. They understood his godlike nature. They, they, they were very aware of who he was when most other people were not. So you have the disciples, you have the women, and then you have Jesus' own servant nature. Um, Altogether, this shows that the kingdom of God is, in the words of one scholar of Mark, it comes bubbling up from below. Okay, That's how you can think of the kingdom of God in the gospel of Mark. It comes bubbling up from below. Everybody say, bubbling up from below. Okay, (laughs) And the great thing about it, bubbling up from below, is that we can all be part of it, right? You know, it's, 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 like, it's like something that we can p- be part of, that we can just sort of jump into because it's right here. It's like here. It's like that I can touch it. It's right here. I can, you know, be in the bubbles. And, but if that's the case, what do we do with that sort of resistance that we have to throwing ourselves in, throwing our lot in with what God is doing? How can we make Jesus' promise feel promising? And I think it helps to identify... Uh, a couple of the main obstacles. And, and the one big one I wanted to start out with is that we, we might struggle to believe that God is making any progress. You know, the world is, is actually full of really terrible things. I mean, it's hard to, to sometimes know that when you're living relatively stable lives. For many people, you know, life is a, it's a terrible trial. And it doesn't seem to get better, ever. You know, people continue to suffer. They feel pain. Um, Loneliness doesn't go away. People live in fear. Um, You know, people in communities continue to face constant injustice and prejudice. And, And at times, you know, the darkness seems to have all the power. I mean, like, it's really hard for, like, I mean, like, it's it's really hard for someone like me who has a generally optimistic nature to understand what it's like to have a generally pessimistic nature. But, that, but, but a lot of people live like that. And, and, and it's important for us to understand that. And we can see, like, at other times when you just see extreme evil, like, just produce terrible results, like the, like the killings in, you know, in Christchurch last week. 
And you know, I see it in my in, in my own circle. Like you know, um, I play soccer with a big group of guys, and like this week, um, we get an email saying that a you know one of our one of our friends' son has committed suicide. And you know, and I'm at the wake, and I'm like, this is just I don't know. I just have no answers. I have no words. Um, but the terrible thing, that's the second time it's happened to one of our guys in the last couple of years. And it's like people live in that space where there is seemingly no hope. Um, and, you know, the things we pray for don't happen. And so we might find it hard to believe that God is constantly at work. But there's a subtler obstacle that I think is just as large. And I, and I think it's that... As our sense of self-sufficiency and mastery over the things that we can do, you know, as we get, you know, more established in life, we may start to feel that important and good things can be achieved without needing to team up with God. And I, and I totally, you know, I totally agree that like many, many good things happen without followers of Jesus being involved, and that's great. That should happen. I'm glad that happens. But when we see that happening, we, could, we might say to ourselves, well, why would I want to, like, layer on my faith to this? You know, it can just complicate things and, you know, it will alienate people. Um, and so we're like, okay, well, you know, it's difficult. I have conflicts. So what do we do? And, and I think our passage today is very helpful in sort of helping us overcome these obstacles. And I think it tells us that people have always had trouble real trouble. You know, this is like incredible how much trouble the disciples have understanding Jesus' power. They, they, it's just a difficult thing to do, and so we're not alone. And this passage reminds us that faith, even the greatest promise of faith, will take us down a very bumpy road. You know, there are, there are many, many bumps on this road. But this road is worth staying on, okay? Because like, if you, as we continue to read on in Mark, we'll see that it gets even rougher for the disciples. You know, Jesus gets increasingly frustrated with them. And, and, and we'll see that. And, and, but we also know ultimately what happens. And it, you know, there is, there is good things at the end of all this. The disciples do end up understanding who Jesus is. And after his death, they, they rise up. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, they go off and do what Jesus had been doing. And they do it well. And they seem to be enjoying it. And this passage shows us, you know, um, some encouraging things that we should carry with us. The first is that we, when, we, when we do things for God, we are never alone. You know, God is always available. Not just like, oh, God's with us. No, he's right there with us. I mean, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit brings the real-time presence of a living God. And this is just an amazing sort of like resource to have. Like the Holy Spirit's an incredible person to have in your life because he never responds with like doctrine or like black and white kind of like, you know, religious things. He, He doesn't do that. He gives us like like wisdom and you know and the and flexible truths that we can like use and like live out in the context of our very particular lives. I don't know where else that comes from. And I love this passage because it also shows us that 
Jesus always helps us conduct ourselves with, with kindness and generosity. Okay? There's nothing more likely to drain the energy out of a good cause than contempt and insults, right? It's utterly dispiriting. I've been here when I was like a, a young kind of like, you know, even pre-college kind of like political activist. You know, there's nothing more likely to like destroy an idealistic goal than tearing each other apart. Uh, Jesus isn't like that though. You know, as we see in the feeding of the 5,000, a, a defining hallmark of Jesus's people is supposed to be that we provide for others, we're the sort of people that listen, we sense needs, and then we try to offer something helpful, right? Kind of like Father's heart, but like everywhere. Yeah, that's kind of like what should be defining. We shouldn't be known for being smart. We shouldn't be known for being like the best at things. We, we should be known for being good listeners and providing what people might need and sensing those needs. That's what that passage tells me. And that's far more energizing and thirdly, I think this passage, even though it's kind of like shows frustration, has a silver lining of optimism. Because um, it, 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 you know, the boat doesn't sink, right? <laughs> you know? And so when we run low on optimism, when we feel despair, we actually have something we can do. We can just simply go to God and say, look, I am feeling completely hopeless right now. Can you please deal with that? You know? <laughs> And so, and, and he will. He'll follow through and he'll sort of stir up hope again in us. And it might not happen straight away, but it, but it sort of happens over time. And then we feel like we can be part of what God's doing. Or there might be some problem in our life that we feel now is manageable. Jesus gets in the boat. He quiets the storm, okay? He doesn't just walk on past, right? <laughs> like, I love that sense of Jesus just like walking. He's like, you take the boat, I'm going to walk, you know? Um, but he gets in the boat. That's the important part. And we can ask for that even today. So here's some practical suggestions based on what we've talked about today. I think number one would be admit that we have blind spots. Laverne referred to blind spots. Um, and I think that we should just ask God to shine light into them. You know, one of our regular prayers ought to be quite simple. It'd be like, God, what have I not seen today? What have I not been seeing recently that probably would help me if I did see it? Come Holy Spirit, shine some light. Okay, and then you'd be surprised what we see, you know, things that we should perhaps take care of, things that like about ourselves that might need taken care of. Um, and one of the things we can expect to get when that happens is God will um, give us insights into the difficulties, more empathy for people who are going through tough times. And as that happens, um, you know, we might say to ourselves, what can we do? How can I help in these second, in these difficult situations? And that leads to my second practical point: um, is don't be surprised if if God directs us to those closest to us who are in trouble. You know, if that happens, reach out. You know, one thing I, I'd suggest is that we you know we should regularly offer to meet with people who are going through challenges. We should make ourselves available in that way. Um, one thing we should not do is say all right, they're in a tough place. They probably want their space, right? Don't say that. Don't feel that, okay? My, my family's had to deal with um, several big trials, cancers, um, deaths in the couple of years. And I can tell you it's always, always, always welcome when uh, people get in touch and offer to help in some way. 
you know, they may not respond straight away, and that's okay. But that offer is incredibly important, and it's part of that great promise to be able to be part of what God is doing to extend his compassion everywhere. And then finally, I would say join a group at church. And I know lots of you are, um, and that's great. And I've made lots of very good friends just chatting with, you know, over coffee at the end of church and getting to know you. But I really get to know people at church uh, when we share new experiences in whatever group that we're part of. And we, could, we would love for you to be part of what we're doing in those groups. Um, I would particularly flag at the ministry that I'm also part of, the prayer team, since I'm up here, um, the meet and greet. What, what date is it, Grace? April 7th. April 7th. Come along, listen to what we have to say about prayer team, and um, get to know us a bit. And I think that you will uh, really enjoy that day and uh, come away really you know, wanting to be part of the team. Right? So see you there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or go to the Kenny's group or Father's Heart. Um, they will be just as, uh, well... <laughs> they'll all be great don't worry okay so in any of these you'll get a, an even stronger taste a more invigorating taste of uh, God's greatest promise okay thank you very much